You're listening to the Faith Unpacked Podcast. Welcome back to the Faith Unpacked Podcast with Jason and Jamie. This is episode 238. And today, uh, Jason is out, but we've got our favorite doctor in the house, uh, Dr. Caleb Leonard, who is the one of the associate pastors at Grace Life Church in Iowa. If you are in that general area, look them up. There uh, would be a great uh, church family for you if you uh, don't already have one. And... Uh, Today we're going to discuss a, um, I guess you'd say a, a more recent concept or or we'll say proposal uh, as it relates to an aspect of the Trinity itself. And I specifically uh, really centers on the question of the relationship between the persons of the Trinity and and why we use that language is, of course, we believe that there is one God who has eternally existed in three persons of one God. They are not three gods. This is something that gets confused, I think, fairly often as, you know, we're, we're used to the concept of other religions like Hinduism, for example, where you have any number of gods that exist. And so... But when it comes to Christian doctrine, we believe, obviously, that there is only one God, and God makes it very clear in his word that he alone is God, and there is no other. Uh, one God, uh, so we're Unitarian in nature, in, in the sense that we believe in one God, but that one God has eternally existed in three persons, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you've been a listener of this podcast for any number of time, uh, you've heard us talk about the Trinity a lot. And the primary reason is because the nature and character of God affects everything else. So what makes Christianity beautiful itself is the very triune God that we worship. And, and so while the what of Trinity in terms of what is it, has a ceiling from our finite human perspective. The why of Trinity is a question that we can pursue and explore all day long. And certainly God invites us in his word, the Bible, to get uh, to see the the beauty of that. Um, For starters, I'll just say on a real simple note, for God to be love, for God to be father, it is important that God be Trinity. Uh, so the very fundamental bedrock of our Christian faith is built around the, the reality and identity of God being Trinity. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But uh, Caleb, the, the question we've got on the table here today is not so much what the Trinity is, but really how does the Trinity function? And, and more importantly, does uh, is there a de- delineated roles in the persons of the Trinity? Meaning, does the Father have more authority than the Son? Does the Son have more authority than the Spirit? Does the Spirit have more authority than the Father? And specifically, 
this question comes up because the the proposal by some um, theologians out there is that the son eternally subordinates to the father is the term they like to use. And I, I will give them the benefit of the doubt that they are not saying or they are not arguing that the son is different in essence, different in nature, different in person than the father. Uh, so we'll give them that benefit of the doubt. Uh, at least I've never seen an argument that the persons of the Trinity are not homoousius as we were taught by the Nicene Creed or through that process, um, which means that they are the same in essence, the same in substance, the same in nature, uh, but yet they do have roles. And more specifically, they point to incarnate Christ, uh, so the Son, the eternal Son who took on flesh and uh, came to ultimately go to the cross for our sins. One of the aspects of that is Jesus Christ says that he submits his will to the will of the Father. And so it does raise a good question, uh, Caleb. Um, is there really a delineation of roles? And is that just in relationship to incarnate Christ or is that an eternal state? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really a really great intro, and, and that's actually the like key to understanding this this debate is what what you hinted at, right? That I would say most, if we're if we're staying away from from extremes, would say there's only one God. This God eternally exists as three persons, as you said, Father, Son, and Spirit. Each of the three persons is fully God. The, the three persons share in the one divine nature and thus are equal in essence, glory, and power, right? The three persons, though, are distinct in terms of their roles and relations, so kind of function and, and relationship to, to one another. Uh, as for the distinctions and roles that the Father creates, the Son saves, the Holy Spirit sanctifies, right? But we also say that the three operate inseparably in all divine works, right? Because this nature is is not divided. We believe in a God that is simple in that way, right? He's not made up of, of parts. And so it's not like he's cut up into to a pie where he's, you know, one one third the Son, the Spirit, and the Father, or that he or that he is uh, a 30% love, if we're talking about his attributes and you know, 20% justice or or, or whatever. You, you would put in there, right? He, he is full. He is his attributes, right? And each person fully possesses that, that divine nature. So as for distinctions in relationships, each of the three persons has a, has a unique eternal characteristic that's not shared by the others, right? So throughout church history, this is really the only thing that the creeds teach us makes uh, the persons distinct from one another, right? Are these eternal relations of origin is, is what they're often called. Uh, these particular unique characteristics, right? That the father is unbegotten, the son begotten, the spirit spirated is, is, is what is often used, right? And so sometimes the confusion comes with just that word begotten, Right, because we think about you know humanly that I'm a father, I have two two children that you know I have begotten these these children. Right, there was a time when they were not. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. 
uh, when it when it comes to the Trinity, and even for those that hold to eternal functional subordinationism, they they don't believe that either, right? They're they're not committing the Arian heresy, right? Uh, so what we're saying is that all three persons have eternally existed, but they exist in relationship with one another, and so classical theism, if we're looking at the Nicene Creed. Uh, looking at Chalcedon, looking at uh, Athanasian Creed, right? That what what they're going to say is that this is the only thing that makes them distinct. Not that there's some type of hierarchy uh, of authority and submission within the inner life of God Himself, right? So they they're not going to rather than saying that's going to be located in the incarnation. Right, so when Christ assumes a human nature, does he submit himself in his human nature you know, to the Father? Yes, you can't avoid that <laughs> if you're if you're going to be biblically faithful to what the Gospels present you uh, as the 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 trueness of the life of Christ. Right, so but we're but classical theism is going to locate that specifically in the incarnation. And so as far as something being eternally, you know, functionally subordinate, not in nature, right? That's not the, that's not the argument, but just within these roles and relations, does the father have uh, in himself, in his person, is there a hierarchy uh, within the Godhead? And so you have proponents of eternal functional subordinationism that would say, yes, and then you have others hold to a more classical, you know, theism that's going to align with the theology around uh, the creeds. Though they would use the same language and borrow a lot of the same terms. If you look at uh, the the theologians, the pastors that that are gathered at those councils that are praying through those things that are studying the scriptures, they they would they would reject that and and see that um, as something not within the inner life of God Himself but within, uh, located within the incarnation, specifically in Christ's human nature, right? Because if, if the Son is God in himself, is, is fully God, is truly God, then he would not be submitting to the Father, right? But in his human nature, if he's truly human, then absolutely he's submitting to the father's sending of him in time as the messiah right to accomplish redemption uh, for for his people because everything he becomes and does is for us and for our salvation right so it, i think you could even make an argument in in first corinthians 15 that as he's sitting at the right hand of the father until the the new creation the new heavens and the new earth depending on your eschatology some might locate that uh, in uh, a millenn- an earthly millennial reign um, as well. But some would say that as he's functioning as the Messiah, still even at the right hand of the Father until the consummation of all things, there there would be a sense in which he's still fulfilling that messianic role and submission um, to to the Father, if, if that kind of kind of makes sense. So hopefully that helps listeners locate at least where the conversation is, that there's been a real hesitancy for most to you know, use the word um, heresy, probably, because they're they're saying, 
uh, we're not saying Jesus is less God than the Father, right? Or the Spirit is less God than than Jesus. We're just saying that functionally, that's what they're saying. I'm not a proponent of um, EFS uh, myself, but that's what they're saying is that, you know, in, in the inner life of God, they're all equally God, but they, but there is some submission and authority there, and that's going to, you know, play out and to help give us a model, kind of a also linked to social trinitarianism as far as you know male female relationships, um, as well as authority and submission relationships in marriage and the church and, and that type of thing. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, um, and I want to flush that out a little bit more here in a minute. Um, so so we'll get to that because I think that's part of this discussion as well. I would agree with you. I'm also not an um, EFS guy. Um, and I really get very uncomfortable when you use the term eternal subordination. Um, yeah. And, you know, we'll talk a little more about that, too. But I want to first, you know, pick up on one of the one of the things you uh, spoke about, um, which is in relationship to this incarnate uh, Christ, mm. the, the reality yeah. of Jesus. And one of the things I think a lot of people are confused about in that, and, and I would put myself historically in that camp as well, that I think our traditional thinking as, as Christians, especially if we haven't really explored this a whole lot, is that the, the, the incarnation works essentially uh, like this. God, uh, the, the Son, um, took on human form and went to the cross for our sins. Okay. And that's mm-hmm. almost right, right? It, it sounds pretty good. Um, but kind of packed in that is sort of a subtle distinction that actually makes a big difference, which is this idea that Jesus was fully divine in the sense that he was literally the God man, in, in, in the sense yeah. that he engaged almost like a human. He he almost looked uh, human, but he actually wasn't really human, right? He was, uh, yeah. the, the way Todd Miles puts this in his uh, his book, Superheroes Can't Save You, where he talks about Christological heresies or really bad ideas about Jesus, is he equates it to the, the superhero Superman, um, right? That yeah. Yeah. Super, Superman is not a real person. In in we're talking in the folklore, right? Of of uh, um, uh, Smallville, I guess it is. In the folklore of Smallville, um, uh, Clark Kent is not a real person, right? He he's an assumed identity for Cal L, who mm-hmm. is this other being, right? He's this otherworldly yeah. being, yeah. and. Basically, he looks like a human and he acts like a human, but he's really not human at all. And a lot of Christians, I think, have this view of Jesus as well that, you know, like, for example, how was Jesus sinless? Well, because he's divinely God. Right. And you go, well, yeah, but that's not the that's not the picture the Bible gives us. Right. Is that there's really two aspects to it. One is Jesus. He, he doesn't have the natural sin nature that comes through Adam, right? He was uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit through mm-hmm. Mary, 
Um, so he 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 doesn't have that natural sin nature that comes through Adam, but how he overcomes sin in his incarnate form is through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Through yeah. seeking yeah. Uh, the, the truth of God's word, right? When he goes out into the desert and he's tempted for 40 days, um, how does he respond? I mean, how does he overcome that temptation? By by the authority of God's word, right? By the truth of mm-hmm. God's word applied in a particular situation. And so it's not like um, the, the way Todd puts it in his book, it's not like when he was tempted, he all of a sudden throws off his disguise and responds as God-man, right? Yeah. Um, and you see, you know, further examples of this in like Hebrews chapter two at the end of the text where it says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession for we do, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I'm um, sorry, that was Hebrews chapter 4. Um, And then, you know, Hebrews uh, chapter two has a very similar, you know, kind of talk um, picking up in verse 14. Therefore, since as children we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives for assuredly he does not give help to the angels but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in in things uh, pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. And so you see the same delineation, you know, clearly spelled out that, you know, while Jesus never gives up his divinity, he is still God, very God. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does not in his incarnate form, where he is fully man as well, fully God, fully man, he does not deal with these things by nature of his divinity. And so there is a stark difference between incarnate Christ and his behavior in relationship to the Father and that of the eternal Son, right? Um, and, And so I just wanted to draw that or flush that out a little bit because it really helps us see, okay, the way Jesus interacts with the Father in his um, in his incarnation is very much different than his role as the Son in the Trinity. But where they have a good point is in relationship to does the Father have a role in the Trinity? Does the Son have a role in the Trinity? Does the Spirit have a role? And it's like you see that at lots of different levels. Right. Um, an example of that is Jesus in in John chapter 17. Um, he says, I think, verse 24, that the father loved him before the foundation of the world. You know, and it's answering this question. What was God doing 
before uh, creation. And part of that answer is the father was pouring out love on the son, right? The son was delighting that glory back to the father. And what do you see the spirit doing? The spirit was revealing the love of the father to the son and the son back to the father, right? It's this beautiful picture. So you have this duality of roles um, going on in in the Trinity, uh, but it's important to recognize that does not mean that the son is inferior to the father, the father is superior to the son, the spirit is inferior to the father and the son, right? Like that's not the the good biblical picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want to, Caleb, take us into what does this have to do? I mean, where does this ESF idea come from and what does that have to do with men and women? Yeah, I, I think before before I jump there, I just I, I want to answer one thing a, a, a real real quick, and, and you've already been you know highlight, but it's just this idea that you know we we care about the like authorial intent, right, when we're interpreting individual passages of scripture. But what what you've been hinting at is that we also need a another layer, uh, a, another travel buddy if you will on our in our journey through interpreting scripture and that's uh, a theological interpretation right that when i come to passage of scripture i need to be thinking uh two things right how do i read this passage in light of the reality that there is one god who exists eternally in three persons right and it, but also how how do I and then how do I read passages in light of uh, the Son of God, who is truly God and truly man, who's fully God and, and fully man, right? And so even as I'm going to affirm that Scripture appropriates certain divine acts to one of the members of the Trinity. Also, I'm going to affirm in inseparable operations, right, that the external works of the Trinity are indivisibly one, just as God is one. So whenever Scripture mentions only one or two divine persons, we, we should understand that all three are equally present and active, undertaking the same uh, actions in ways that imply their relations to one another, Right. So in, in this way, we learn to count, you know, persons rather than than actions. It's not as if Jesus does something over here with this hand and the Father and the Spirit have no idea. They're not connected to that. Right. But Scripture sometimes attributes only one divine person, a perfection, an action or, or a name even common to all three because of some contextual fit or analogy between the common attribute and the divine a person in question. So we have to read such passages in a way that, that doesn't compromise the Trinity's essential oneness and equality, right? And then if and then just quickly I'll move to the the person of, of Christ, right? Of thinking about kind of this principle that the the one and the same Lord Jesus, who's the only begotten Son of the Father, that he exists in as one person in two natures without confusion or change, without division or separation that the creeds tell us, right? But that means that we we have to think in terms of the unity of the person of Christ, right? The, the eternal divine son is the sole subject of everything that Jesus does and suffers, right? That he's one person or one agent 
So when, when we're thinking about looking at the life of Christ, Scripture's witness to Christ, we, we must never divide Christ's acts into completely into being two acting subjects, right? As if he's two persons, right? Attributing some to the divine son and others to the human Jesus, as if there were like two different people, right? But since uh, Christ is a single divine person, I'm going to use kind of a technical term here, who subsists in both a divine and a human nature, right? So the one son acts simultaneously in his human nature and his divine nature. So scripture sometimes names him according to one nature and predicates of him what belongs to the other nature. So scripture ascribes uh, certain divine prerogatives to the man Jesus and human acts and suffering to the divine son, if that makes sense. So we have to read scripture in a way that recognizes and kind of reproduces, honestly, this paradox uh, of grammar, of kind of this way of talking about Jesus, right? There's there's some mystery here. And so uh, we, we have to think what, what is called, uh, what the church fathers called partitive exegesis. Scripture speaks of Christ in a twofold manner, right? Some things are said of him as divine, and other things are said of him as human. And so biblical reasoning discerns that scripture speaks of the one Christ in kind of uh, two registers, if you will, in order to contemplate all of who all of who Christ is. So we have to read scripture in such a way that we discern the kind of these these different things that scripture is highlighting, like, like you like you had mentioned. You know, are, there are some things that scripture is teaching us that are true of his humanity and his human nature, like submitting uh, to the Father. Right. And there are certain things that are true of his divinity. Right. So is there a time that Jesus ever gave up being omniscient? No, because he's always eternally the son. Right. But he's also acts in a human nature. Right. He exists. He subsists, if you will, in both of those natures at the same time. Right. So so we hear it. it it's. Is it technically true to say that God died on the cross? Well, Jesus is the person. <laughs> the Father did not die on the cross. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross, right? But if Jesus is fully God, did die, God die on the cross? Well, that's true of the Son, who is fully God, never gave up his divinity, right? But it's his human nature, not his divine nature, that that dies on on the on the cross, right? That allows him to be that substitutional atoning sacrifice for us, and so that that's where kind of partitive exegesis. I know that's kind of a big word, or, or thinking about kind of how Scripture speaks in these different registers is really helpful because it helps us see that well, if God can't die and God becomes man and dies on a cross for sin, how does that work? And you could say, hey, yeah, there's some mystery here, but the church has had answers to the those questions since the first <laughs> in the first centuries through through the creeds, right? That we have these statements that are that are saying, like, well, that's because Christ assumes a human nature, right? He doesn't there's there's not a time where he gives up his divinity or ceases to be God. So 
you could say like Jesus, the son of God dies on the cross, right? Without God actually, you know, the human nature, right? Is what allows Jesus to die and be that sacrifice for sin, right? But his divine nature, scripture speaks of all three members of the Trinity involved in the resurrection, right? The father raised Jesus, the spirit raised Jesus, Jesus himself raised Jesus, right? That's kind of the, the threefold resurrection there in the New Testament. And so I know that's a little bit of a longer answer to get to, you know, hopping into this this next question that you have. But I just think, along with what you said, it's so important to remember that theology isn't just to like fill our minds with like cool facts or things nobody else knows or make us seem like cool or smart, you know, or or just to have a philosophical argument because it kind of gets me all jazzed and I get a high off of it or something, right? But it matters for how you read scripture uh, because it keeps you from making, you know, errors that that would get getting tunnel vision on one passage of scripture and forgetting to think about, well, well, I have to keep uh, this reality in mind of Trinitarian and Christological reading of scripture as well so that I so that I don't commit um heretical errors in in my interpretation of scripture, even though I think 99% of people in the church are not trying to intentionally be heretical. They're they're trying to understand the scriptures, to say something helpful, to apply scripture to life, right? So I'll let you see where you want to take that, if you want to jump into, you know, kind of the relationship question, but. Yeah, no, actually, I, I think this is a good place, um, to wrap up this episode uh, as don't worry, we're not done with it. We'll continue on uh, with this discussion in uh, part two next week. And you'll definitely get to hear more about that. Uh, but I do want to end this episode by simply reading uh, the Nicene Creed. We've uh, referred to it a couple times here in this episode. And it's always good uh, just to be reminded of the words that are uh, brothers and sisters or our forefathers who walked with the Lord and sought the Lord uh, presented such incredible biblical truth to us. And in this form, as it relates to who is this person of the Son and what is his role in relationship to the Godhead, uh, the Nicene Creed, uh, 325, um, it goes this way. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light from light, truth, a uh, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, he suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of, of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, his kingdom will never end. And we believe in one Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. 
He spoke through the prophets. He believed in one holy church and apostolic church. We affirm the baptism and the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection from the dead and the life and life in the world to come. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Faith Unpacked podcast. We're so thankful for your time. We hope and pray that these encourage your faith and walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to hear past episodes, you can find them on our website at faithunpacked.com. We'd also invite you to subscribe on your favorite podcasting site. If you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media, or you can send us an email at faithunpacked at gmail.com. And we invite you back next time as we continue to unpack our faith together.